This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here, and uh, super excited for a great episode today. We're talking with Larry English. He is the co-founder and president of Centric Consulting. And what was really cool about our conversation with Larry is he's done a whole bunch of different things, and we talk about a lot during this episode. You know, we start off first by talking a little bit about how Centric was going remote 20 years ago before it was mainstream. And some of the effects of that. We did it because we thought it would help our employees live a better balanced lifestyle so that they didn't have to commute, they could spend more time with their family. And I had to talk to so many spouses because they didn't believe we were a real company because there was nowhere to go. And so I had to convince them to join us. The excuse for a lot of companies, why they didn't, and they're like, we can't probably trust our employees, This we'll lose productivity. And then the pandemic forced everybody to see, oh, you can really do this. And in fact, it's better. We also spent some time talking to Larry about his trip with his wife backpacking through Europe and some interesting stories they have from that. We were at the running of the bulls. We were at the Tour de France, hiked in the Himalayas, bungee jumped in New Zealand, scuba diving in Bali. It was just this amazing, epic experience that, you know, you never forget. And we wrap things up talking about how changing technology means you've got to keep learning and growing in consulting and and how that's affected his team. As we have gotten to be a bigger company, clients trust us to do bigger, more complicated projects. But the technology is changing so fast. The half-life of skills of like everybody that's in the technology industry, you got to keep updating your skills. And we have to change what we offer to our clients because the market's changing that fast. Outside of that, we talk about a lot of great stuff on entrepreneurship and building your own company. We think you're really going to enjoy this episode. So let's dive right into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike. We've got Josh and Tim in the booth today. What's going on, guys? Hey, I'll talk first today. Ooh, beat him to it. (laughs) I fell asleep at 8 p.m. last night. Mm -hmm. I was so exhausted. And then I woke up at like 10, Mm -hmm. feeling as if it was a new day. That's not good. So just ruined my entire like sleep cycle last night. So My sleep was off as well. I woke up at like 2 in the morning and then couldn't get back to sleep till like 5. And unfortunately, I wake up at 6. So... Not sleeping for an hour, not good. Not great. Other than that, I don't really have any updates. That's the biggest thing that's happened in my life recently. There you go. Josh, what about you? I'm good, dude. I'm tired too, but I'm always tired. So there's nothing nothing too different. I'm back on midday naps. You tried mm-hmm. the midday nap? That was a late day nap and it was accidental. I was actually meant to hang out with a friend. Mm-hmm. Now I was like showered up and waiting for him. And I was like, I'm just going to sit down for a second. Three hours later, I woke up to like missed calls and him being like, you dead? And I was like, kind of. <laughs> so that's something I need to work on, I guess. Josh is a big midday nap guy, though. You can usually find him in the middle of the day sleeping on his computer, like face down. I don't know how you sleep in those positions. It's we great. need to get like the little Google pod things that they, you know, when they mm-hmm. had those little nap zones. Like in the internship? Yeah, we need to get one of those. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. But 
think probably a good place to pivot towards what people actually want to hear, which is the interview. So, Which has nothing to do with sleeping. I feel like they want to listen to us talk about our sleep problems. Unrelated, my buddy bought a Mercedes. I was looking at a car yesterday and he was trying to t sell me on his Mercedes. So he was saying the word Mercedes in his Mercedes quite often. And every time the new system they have is like Siri, would it would interrupt the music and be like, I don't understand what you're saying. And I was like, I don't want this car simply for that fact. Like That's anytime the, you the mention it. That's the reason. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, today on the show, we've got Larry English joining us and he is the president and founder of Centric Consulting. And Centric is a consulting firm offering consulting services for business, technology, and digital needs of its clients. And Larry started his career in consulting, but found himself burnt out at 25. And he and his wife decided to go on a backpacking trip around the world. And when he returned, he and his peers decided to create a company that would change how consulting was done, completely remote, with a focus on creating a culture of client and employee happiness. And so we're excited to have Larry on the show today to talk about the creating of Centric, how it's grown to the company is today, and the future of work. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Larry. Hey guys, thanks for having me. This is my first in-person podcast since the pandemic began. So I've done probably 50 yeah. podcasts and this is the first one and it feels awesome. Yeah. Great view of Columbus. and In-person is always the way to go. I mean, you get a lot more energy and back and forth with these settings. So, But the first thing I thought of as soon as we said that is, you know, you guys were kind of ahead of the curve with the whole remote work thing, huh? Uh, we were 20 years ago when it was unheard of. <laughs> and uh, we did it because we thought, it would help our employees live a better balanced lifestyle so that they could get more, you know, do more. Uh, they didn't have to commute. They didn't have to be in the office. They could spend more time with their with their family. And it was hard mm -hmm. uh, at first. I had to talk to so many spouses because they didn't believe we were a real company because there was nowhere to go. And so I had to convince them to, to join us. The technology got better and then people became more accepting of it. And we learned how to do it and we learned how to do it really well so that we um, had great culture. And then the pandemic happened and, um, you know, we were all, it took like, we just flipped a switch and the next day, nothing, nothing had changed for us. And we mm -hmm. were able to, uh, you know, survive and thrive, mm -hmm. but then everybody wanted to learn how to do this. And so I've been writing and speaking on this non-stop non since the pandemic started. What did remote work look like 20 years ago? Cause I mean, that's, that's pre FaceTime and Google meet and zooms, obviously not a thing. What did that look like for your you know day-to-day -day productivity? Yeah. So you didn't have video back then mm -hmm. and the tools were not as good. And a lot of had, faxing. Uh, not, not quite that bad. I'm not quite that old, um, <laughs> but the, certainly the technology was a challenge. Now mm -hmm. it's amazing. It's so much easier yeah. and you're so much more productive and there's not a reason not to be remote, which is what I think a lot of companies are finding themselves into. I would talk to executives all the time and they're like, wait, I don't understand this. And so I kept having to do it over and over again. And they look at me like I was a crazy person. And so that's why I ended up writing the book because I got tired of, mm -hmm. of um, explaining it to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and they couldn't believe it, that, that you could in fact do it. And that was always the excuse for a lot of companies why they didn't. And they're like, we can't probably trust our employees. This will we'll lose productivity. And then the pandemic forced everybody to see, no, you can, you can really do this. And in fact, it's better. Well, we'll get into that a little more, but I think we want to take a step back here, Larry, and talk about kind of just your background at a yeah. high level. Where, and you know, a lot of people start as far back as like, have you always lived in Columbus? I have. So I moved here in second grade and I grew up in Columbus and I went to Reynoldsburg High School, graduated from there, um, as we talked about earlier, wrestled there, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, went on to Miami University, studied computer science. Came, Why computer science? 
I loved it as a kid. It was, um, I just was really into it. It's something I really enjoyed. And I was lucky. I found that early mm -hmm. and uh, I knew that that's what I wanted to do in life. And so, you know, I had no idea that what technology was going to explode and be such an important thing. It was just something that I loved and I still do to this day. Mm -hmm. um, and so this has been, you know, I'm in this lucky period where it's been this point in history where technology's taken over the world and I got to ride along with it. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So you, you wrap up Reynoldsburg, and then where do you go for college? Went to Miami University. Miami, you said that. And then after you wrap up Miami, do you continue on with the computer science side of things, or do you move into the consulting role directly after that? So what was happening in that time was consulting was really shifting from like business consulting and accounting to technology consulting. And so I joined a consulting firm, a large international consulting firm out of college, and, that's, and they did computer consulting. And that business was really starting to take off then. So quick, quick, well, one, is it Miami of Ohio or like the U? Miami of Ohio. Okay. And then the second thing, I guess, I, as I've worked in consulting or been a consultant before and I still feel kind of confused by it. So I feel like anybody that would be listening, I guess two things. One, how would you simply define like what a consultant does? And then two, I'm curious to hear about how that works joining another team. Are you kind of like a, a talent that they bring on and they use you for specific projects or how that works? Well, there's a wide wide range of options of how consulting mm -hmm. can work. The simplest definition is you have a skill or expertise that a company needs and you're providing that at an hourly rate. Um, in some cases, you're doing it as a project. And that gets to your point before. So the wide range is sometimes companies will hire you to solve a business problem or they will hire you to do a project or they might hire you for a you know one person with a specific skill set. So there's a wide range of uh, ways that you can do consulting. And so you're only at the consulting gig for a few years until you have kind of this burnout phase and, and you're ready to travel the world. So talk a little bit about if you can reflect back, remember in that vivid detail, like what that experience was like, and then maybe take us through the experience of backpacking the world. Yeah, yeah. Out of college, started working for this great company, great international consulting company. And it's, it's awesome. You learn stuff so fast. You get promoted really fast. You work with really smart, talented people. But the downside is they work you really hard. So we would work seven days a week. Um, I would get in at like 7 a.m. and work until 10 p.m. And you do that for five years. Mm -hmm. And I had one of those moments like where I was walking in the dark out to the deserted parking garage where mm -hmm. your, your car is the only one there. And you're like, this is life. This is all I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to do this and I'm going to retire and die. And I'm like, I can't do this. this something's, something's messed up. Um, so I'm, I'm like, I got I to gotta figure out. I got to go find myself. And so I just... Uh, my wife and I had just married and I talked her into doing this and we're like, what can we do to kind of go find ourselves? And the idea was let's, let's travel around the world. We had met somebody who had done it. We went and talked to them and they're like, yeah, it's super easy. I'm like, really? And so we bought a one-way ticket to Iceland nice. uh, and we kept going and we had some ideas of where we wanted to stop along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, but we kind of, for a year, we didn't know where we were staying the next night. Mm -hmm. um, and we just kind of figured it out. What year was that? 
95, 96. Oh, wow. What made you choose Iceland? That's my, that's my favorite place on earth. Well, I was almost born there. My dad was stationed there. Oh, nice. And so I'd always wanted to go there. And we got a cheap ticket on Iceland Air where they yeah. allowed you to do a stopover for as long as you want on your way to London. Mm-hmm. And so we did that and it was, it was amazing. The experience of traveling around the world, Americans don't do it, but a lot of like Kiwis, Aussies. Like a gap year kind of thing. It's much more common. And so yeah. we didn't meet as many Americans. But what I will tell you, it was, it was probably a better education than college for me of mm-hmm. what I learned. And you have to be self-reliant and you, you put your, you know, we almost died a couple of times. You, it, it is, and you meet these people from all over the world and you learn different cultures and how things are different. It's, it's an amazing education. And just some of these memories, just to give you, you know, a sense like running, we were at the running of the bulls. We were at the Tour de France. We hiked in the Himalayas. We bungee jumped in New Zealand. Um, we were scuba diving in Bali, Indonesia. I mean, it was just this amazing epic experience that, you know, you never forget. So the part where I figured and found myself out was about 10 months in, we were exhausted <laughs> from traveling. Mm-hmm. And so we were, I was lying on a beach in Bali and I was reading this James Mitchell book and it said, Southern Florida is filled with people who wanted to do something big in their lives, but waited until it's safe. Now it's safe and they're 68 years old and they live in Southern Florida. And I'm like, that's it. I got to take a risk. I got, you know, I'm going to be mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. Um, and so I kind of found out what, you know, my calling was and came back and, that led to eventually starting Centric. So you were at it for 12 months exactly? So uh, 10 months we were gone total. There was like one month on either side of logistics and all that stuff, but yeah. And saving up for that, that just came from when you were working in the consulting gig before you took off? Yeah, so one of the things about consulting that was true certainly before the pandemic is a lot of times you travel. And so you got um, paid per diem to, to travel. And so, and then you got paid for all the overtime you're working and you, you have no life. So you don't spend any money. And so you just save up a lot of money. And so mm-hmm. we could have bought a house or we could travel and we chose to travel. What did you spend? If you don't mind me asking for that year. It was, I think total, we probably spent 40 grand. Mm-hmm. And so Europe's super expensive, mm-hmm. but once you get to Asia and yep. I mean, I think in Nepal, our budget was $25 a day for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Indonesia in those places was like $50 a day. You can live for a very long time and live like a king, uh, once you get, you know, outside of the more expensive parts of the world. I think, I, I think everybody should be forced to do that hmm. and not necessarily like you did some epic stuff, but I mean, just, just survive in a, like go to Germany and just learn how to survive. It teaches you empathy on how you're the one that doesn't know what the hell's going on. And so you have like patience and people have to deal with you and you know, the, you get to meet people that, cause you know, you just, you stay in this circle, especially, you know, rural Ohio, they have this like very small circle. I think if people just got out and like experienced the, so the, some of the like most enlightening things for it, like you said, traveling, I did a, um, I've done a ton of it, but I did a, an entire winter down in, in like Asia and stuff like that. We had a place in Bangkok for like $11 a night with like a rooftop pool and stuff, but just getting around, you know, some of the, you know, you know like the Island of Cebu and stuff like that, you know, no, not many people speak English and I, I'm the outcast who's like trying to communicate versus, you know, it teaches you empathy and how to deal with people. And, and, and like everybody looks different, but we're not, we're all dealing with the same shit. You know, it's like not really like a, uh, that big of a differentiator. So true. Uh, so we found that it was very easy. A lot of people have a fear of getting, you know, getting around and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. We were in trekking in the back country in Nepal and we were lost. And there was this uh, Nepalese man and I, I was like doing charades, trying to ask him which way. Mm-hmm. And he finally goes, what do you want? <laughs> you speak in English. <laughs> we were, we were in Japan one time and my buddy read the, like the train wrong. We had to catch a flight and we were like an hour or something from the airport and the last train had already left. And so I'm like trying to talk to like a bunch of police officers and get us there. And we ended up finding like 
some cab guy to like drive us or whatever, but we were just like, oh no, like we're, we're stuck here now. Mm-hmm. And we figured it out. It's not that big of a deal, but yeah, I think it, I think that's something if, if more people did that, even for a short, you don't have to do a whole year, just go somewhere uncomfortable and just experience it a little bit. It'll, it'll uh, open up your, your mind a lot, a lot more than school will. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. What about, like, if you spent four or five years, however long it was, working the consulting gig that many hours, you, you must have been really driven already at that point in your life to be successful, but you were able to pull back for 10 months or 12 months out of your life, just totally almost turn that off. What was that like from a mentality perspective? So that is a very good question, as especially pertains to me. So during this trip, you know, you're super stressed out when you leave from, you know, working like that. You get so relaxed that you forget, first you forget what day it is, and then you eventually forget what month it is. And so you're- I can't wait. (laughs) It sounds amazing. It it was. And so what happened was I came back, um, I took a, a leave of absence from the consulting firm and I came back into the office, right? We can see it from here actually. And- I came back in like a, my hair and a ponytail when I had hair and a big bushy beard. They didn't know who I was. They didn't recognize me. They thought I was part of the maintenance crew. And uh, I remember the partner was like, okay, you got a, we got a big problem in New York City and we got one in Chicago. You got to decide right now where you're going. And I was like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> the biggest decision I've had to make this last year is whether I have beer or wine with lunch. Uh-huh. You know? And so I was coming back and I had every intent of not working the same way that I did. But... Um, what I found was as a person, I'm wired to get the most out of life and I'm bored unless I'm doing something big. And so I found myself back to hard charging. I mean, starting a company is super hard, right? But what I've had to learn over time is how to find that balance and how to relax and make sure you don't miss out on those key moments in life. Stay in the moment. You know, I raised four kids, four boys, and they're mostly grown now. And you don't want to miss those years because you don't get them back. And so I've learned over time how to balance kind of that drive with not missing out on life. I'm sitting here trying to imagine you with a ponytail and a bushy beard, and it is very difficult. (laughs) I'll find a picture for you. (laughs) But so you get back and so you said you came back to the job. And then how quickly did you realize, okay, you know what? Nope, time to go do my own thing. So I was quitting every day for the first month. Mm-hmm. I was like, this sucks, man. I can't do this. And I didn't realize that apparently the partners had a bet on how soon I was going to quit because they saw the same mm-hmm. thing in me. So I think it was about a year or less than a year because I was coming back and I'm like, okay, I got to find the next thing. And that's when I was, I was searching for that thing. And I ended up doing a startup, a consulting startup with some buddies that had gotten it going and uh, was off and running on that next adventure. And so this, this startup was centric? No. No. This Different. was a stop before that. Okay. <clears throat> and what it was really good um, because I learned the guy in it, he wanted to sell it all along. And I didn't realize that. And what I learned was, you know, especially consulting, you bring all these wonderful people together and you build a family. When you sell it, it dies. Mm-hmm. The culture dies and everything. And I'm like, I don't think we want to do that. And then we got sold to this publicly traded consulting firm. And we thought it was really cool, except for after the, after you sign on the dotted line, they're like, okay, listen, we're publicly traded. If you don't hit your numbers every 13 weeks, you're fired. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? what? You didn't tell us about that in the courting uh, phase. And so I, I got the experience of being part of a publicly traded services firm. And so all these, I, I saw three major different consulting models and, and we're like, okay, we like these things. 
but we don't like these things. Is there a way we can create a company that keeps all the good stuff and gets rid of all the bad stuff? And I hooked up with some buddies that I had started with at this consulting from out of college and we shared the same value system and we're like, let's go build this company. And that's when Force Center came from. And what are the early days that look like? I mean, the, the idea is great, but how do you start to uh, put it to the pavement and get it to come to fruition? So we developed a, it wasn't the prettiest business plan, but we developed a business plan. But the thing that was more important was the value system that we were going to stand for. Those core values that we defined, uh, whatever it is, 20 plus years ago have not changed. And so we were able to build a company based on those. And certainly the business um, stuff has changed, but the, what we were about has never changed along the way. And so what I'm curious about is, you know, you mentioned you saw some things you liked, you saw some things you didn't like. I imagine that you felt like those things that you didn't like about the consulting model currently, you felt that if you could fix them would be a competitive advantage, not just, hey, we don't like that we overwork people, right? So what were the things that you saw and... How did you think you were going to be able to spin those into an advantage? Yeah, so we kind of listed them out. So I'll do it from two different perspectives. And the word, the name Centric comes from centering everything we do on client happiness and employee happiness. And so we were trying to figure out how can we make this the best you know, consulting nirvana for all of our employees. And so it was things like we talked about, which was remote work and balanced lifestyles. Sometimes, like what I experienced, consulting can, uh, they can you know work people to death we designed our company around our employees having much more balance. So as an example today, we still have unlimited PTO. So you can choose to take how much ever time you want. And so it was, we were designing all of these things to make our employees really happy and then also our clients. And so um, from a client perspective, one of the things in consulting is consulting companies will just kind of run over the customer and get the project done and leave a wake of dead bodies. We didn't want that. We wanted them to have an amazing experience around. So the same way Disney has is known for having the best experience from a you know an entertainment perspective. We wanted to do the same thing from consulting, and so we we train people on how to give these unmatched experiences um, to customers. And so we treat a client's business like it's our own, mm-hmm. and we do the same care. We're not there just to earn a buck. It's like truly really being side by side, and we try to integrate and be just the same part of the team so that you can't tell the difference between our consulting team and the client's team. And the best, um, one of my favorite stories was a client here in, in Columbus, the CIO and um, his um, direct report had, were having a debate over, they couldn't remember if the employee was a centric person or their own employee. So they had to go to payroll to figure out who that person was. That, I mean, that makes me feel great. Mm-hmm. So hopefully those give you a sense of a little bit of the differentiators. Um, the, bi- the big one around employees were back then, a lot of times consulting's got an, you got an airplane on Monday morning and you came back on Friday. We designed our business model so people didn't have to travel like that and they could serve local clients so they could be home to coach their kid's soccer game or whatever it was. So that was a huge competitive advantage. And then we were, a- we were hiring people from all the big companies and so we were able to service clients at a f- you know the same people at a fraction of the cost and clients love that. Is the travel thing still an option or is that completely gone with COVID and everything? Well, I think the business world is going to change. So before the pandemic, certainly consulting on site was important, but this pandemic made a lot of customers realize, hey, we don't need this. And because you pay for those expenses when you hire a consultant and you fly yeah. them in and they, and they want to save that money mm-hmm. and they realize that they can work remotely. So I think you're going to see people be a lot more accepting. I do think business travel is going to change. You know, people used to fly across the country for a 15 minute meeting and face to face. People are going to do away with that. Mm -hmm. We still um, think even though we're remote, face to face is really important. 
but you can balance it. Uh, so I, I think the business world will change. I like the, uh, you know, I don't have kids to coach their soccer team. So I'm hoping that the travel doesn't go away, hmm. but working in creative and uh, design, uh, the process of being in the same room with the people versus back and forth is literally hours more efficient. Cause like if you make something, you send it to somebody that takes them time to look at it, then they want a, a small tweak and the back and forth can be hours. Whereas you're in the same room, you're like this, change that. All right, cool. Send it. So it's that the, I don't think that the creative side is ever going to change the way that some other industries can, but I think it's really efficient for, for a lot of the business world to, to adapt that remote or, you know, work from home or not an office or just the more efficient way. I agree. Creative won't change until Elon Musk gets our brains connected to the internet. And then, you know, you'll be able to just kind of, <laughs> even then we'll just disagree all on the internet, right. <laughs> change it by one. Hey everybody, Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus, and we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. So how has the company grown over time? So you started it and you know, what did the team look like when you started it? What's it look like today? Yeah, so we started with just a handful of people, and now we're 1,100 people in 14 cities and uh, in India. So we have about 300 people in India and then the balance here in the United States. And over time, I, I'd imagine that, it, you know, because you, you mentioned early on, it was, you know, you were able to target local companies, but with 1,100 people, it sounds like you probably uh, had to change that up a little bit. But is everyone still targeting people in their local area? Like, is you working with customers where you're at, or has that changed over time? It is changing, but what we have found is uh, being person to person, like you were just describing, still matters. Mm -hmm. And so we think even after this, because we are in 14 different cities, you're going to have a balance. Mm -hmm. You're going to have face to face because customers want to do business with somebody they trust. And you can't build that trust completely by just doing it over video. You have to build in some component of meeting face to face. Definitely. What about the evolution of the projects you guys are working on? Like, has that it changed at all since the beginning? Or are you just doing more at a larger scale? There's a couple of ways to answer that. So one, technology is changing, is blowing up almost every industry. Certainly what's happening is everybody was becoming more connected. So you could, I mean, you saw it, that's why we have uh, people offshore, is you could do technology development and you could do it remotely. Now what's happening is... If you all of a sudden eliminate the need to be in any geography, it's created this entire world of freelancers. And so all of a sudden, Mark Andreessen just said it in a quote last week. He thinks that this revolution is going to be bigger than the internet, meaning remote work has the ability to unlock everybody in the world to be online and contribute and do, do work. And so I think you're going to see 
a major change in how they operate because people are going to move to the suburbs a little bit more. You're going to see younger people that still want to live downtown. All the proceeds of the book are actually being donated to help people improve the digital divide. So people that were in disadvantaged areas can be trained on how to be economically on the information highway. So I think the world has changed as a result of this pandemic. Does that help? Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, I understand the world evolution, but I'm curious about your guys' personal projects, like some of the things that you guys have been focusing on have you changed what you do and don't take on since you, you first started the company or is it just more of the same types of projects, same types of customers, but at a larger scale? From a consulting perspective. So I just talked for like 10 minutes and didn't answer your question. It was good though. I, I, did, <laughs> I, like I, did, I enjoyed the narrative though. It was another question I would have asked if I was smarter. <laughs> Andy will find a way to cut it up, make it good. Don't worry. <laughs> is, that, is, is that right? So certainly as we have gotten to be a bigger company, clients trust us to do bigger, more complicated projects. And so you'll take on those. But the thing that I would say is technology is changing so fast that you have to update your skills so fast. So to give you an example, RPA, which is robotic process automation, I didn't know what it was two years ago. And then now it's a million dollar business for us. Same thing with artificial intelligence and machine learning. A year ago, it was nothing. And now it's a, it's a $2 million business for you us. You have some people that are good at that? We do. You probably use them. Um, but my point is, and so the half-life of skills of like everybody that's in, in the technology industry, you got to keep updating your skills and we have to change what we offer to our clients because that, the market's changing that fast. How are you able to manage that, that, that fast-paced uh, uh, evolution of change, especially when it comes to like, are you just bringing on new talent constantly? Um, you obviously can't handle it all from a management and executive team on your own. What I would say is the world has become agile. And so what I mean by that is agile development. It's a much faster way basically to deliver product. It started in the IT department. Now every business is also agile, meaning you can move really fast. You can change your strategy really fast every three months to keep up with the pace of change. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, one area we mentioned we want to talk about a little bit is just obviously the pandemic has changed the workplace for probably forever. <laughs> Some people are attempting to come back and be normal or maintain exactly what they had before. But how do you see the workplace evolving moving forward and, and kind of what does the future of work look like? So it's getting into some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, but McKinsey and Microsoft did a global survey and they were seeing what we were seeing, which is we think nine out of 10 companies are going to adopt a hybrid work model, meaning their employees will be in part of the time and part of the time that they'll be remote. So I think you're going to see most companies shift to that. And the reason why they're not going to have a choice because what's happening is employees got a taste. It's something like 95% of employees want to work remote part of the time. They don't want to go back into the office. It's 5% that want to go into the office full time. And what we could start to see is if enough companies started to offer this, if your company didn't offer it, you're going to lose your employees. And the best recruiters are going to figure out who those companies are and they're going to target those companies. And that's exactly what we're starting to see. So we're seeing whole department, like whole groups of people quit their, you know, if the, if the CEO says you have to come back in the office. So I think remote work is going to be here to stay forever. And what we found out over 20 years of doing it is the more remote work you do, the less you go into the office. So I think the future is a lot more remote and a lot less office and all the things that we started to talk about, which means more gig freelancers. So people that you know, I want to work three months and then I want to take three months off or I want to be a digital nomad and go live in a different country. I think we're going to see all of that. 
I think that it's good, but it's also exposing a problem of them looking for the wrong people. Everybody talks about the pandemic and work from home and stuff like that. They were judging them in the wrong way. Like butts and seats is a very old mentality. The same as the people who are like, I have a marketing degree from 1975, so therefore I know this or, you know, like a programming and stuff like that. You have to be agile. But I think companies can focus on, are you producing what we brought you in for, right? And let's go off of that. If you work six hours a week and you produce the results that we both deem acceptable, then by all means do whatever, rather than like you have to be here. And I think it's gonna force companies to find leadership that that adopts that. I'm very new to the corporate world, but that was something I brought with me. I was like, look, I don't care if we determine that this is what you want and I can prove that those results are, then we're gonna, we're gonna succeed. So like get off my back and, and enjoy the success, you know? And there was some older heads that pushed back to that, but I think uh, as a company, we're adopting that. Are you hitting your goals? Are we succeeding or not? And I think if other companies look at that versus you gotta be here or whatever, you're gonna have people bought in that wanna be a part of the team. They're gonna be excited to produce. They're gonna brag to their friends about, hey, I only work this much because I get it done versus like, you know, my boss sucks. So I think the pandemic has changed it, but it was, it was already a problem that just wasn't being addressed. They were too worried about, yeah, these clocking in, clocking out versus yeah. the results. And a lot, and I mean, I'm experiencing that too. It's like, you know, if it, these companies that raise money and, you know, outside looking in, it's just like betting or anything else. You can't, you can't bet a thousand percent. If you hire a hundred people, you're going to hire a bunch of duds. And so it's kind of like finding that gold and then building your team out with those examples and learning from that versus just like, we need a hundred people here from eight to five. And then they're like, why? Right. So it's, it's a, it's an unfortunate situation that brought this on, but getting to witness it as someone who was on the outside and watching them, it be forced on these like old heads. It's a, uh, it's very satisfying to watch them learn like, Oh, we can benefit from this too. I'm actually the opposite of like the traditional, so like the traditional thought is like, I can't trust my employees to work from home. Right. Like that very old. Then school. you hired all the wrong people. That's you right. Know? Yeah. right. Yeah. If, if I can't trust you to work from home, yeah. I can't, I can't trust you yeah, to work. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> you have to bring them to jail for them to work. Right. Then we have a bad system. And well, like you, I think, I think it's a little bit to the extreme because I think you have to teach some people how to work. That's like saying that if you can't run seven miles today, you can't run seven miles at your high school basketball practice. Like the discipline comes from being in an environment where people are pushing you to do that. Not everybody can just go home and do that on their own. So I, think, I yeah. think learning how to work and be and be disciplined on your own is like, I think it almost goes underrated to some extent. Like you got to teach people how to do it. Yeah, that's fair. Versus. I think I think I'm coming in and looking at the uh, the person who's already been through some of the, I want to pluck them a little bit later. Right. So I guess that is very true. You know, if you're starting, depending on where you start, the people you might have to. Especially like new efficient. employees. Yeah, yeah. You know, like kids coming out of college, right? They're not always going to know how to do that. So it makes sense. Well, there's, there's a lot of talk too of like, well, you can do your laundry during the day and like you can, but you can't only do your laundry during the day at some point. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you just got to learn what that balance looks like. And I think even the most motivated people, like I, I can find myself, I have to leave my home environment in order to just feel the energy and feel like I'm flipping a switch. Because mm-hmm. if I just stayed there, it's like, I feel like I'm pulling teeth to get done what I need to get done. I think that's true, but that's uh, that calls out the importance. Sorry, man, of, we're just like we well, just took so, over. And this would be interesting. Is, is Larry um, still on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> but I think he just left. Larry, like the importance of, I mean, <laughs> how important is having a good space at home to work? Huge. I actually interviewed a, a University of Cincinnati professor, and if you don't have a good setup, and companies don't help you get a good setup, there's a lot of people that are experiencing. Um, disability, back pain, lost days. Mm-hmm. So you want to spend the money to help your employees get a great ergonomically correct setup. And when you guys were just going, you guys could have taken over for me because you hit on a lot of points that I talk about in the book. One is trust. It's mm-hmm. the first chapter in the book. Um, there's companies that install software to like monitor if you're sitting at your desk or mm-hmm. what's, you know, they take a screenshot every five seconds. Absolute wrong way 
to do it. I've worked with thousands of people over the last 20 years, and I can count on one hand how many people were not intentionally working. People love it. And the other thing is to make it okay, you guys were starting to hit on this, is there's a lot of the people that grew up old school, they just, they're like, I, I don't I don't understand how this works. I have yeah. to see the person. And they're missing out on the whole value of doing your laundry during the day, which is making it okay. Let somebody design their own day around mm-hmm. what they need to get done and what energizes them if they need to go to yoga in the middle of the day or whatever it is, make it okay. Let them do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important because you're missing out on the value. So you guys are doing a good job, man. You could, you guys could just, you don't need me here. <laughs> there you go. We've all, yeah, we've all experienced a lot of that in different ways over the last you know year and a half. I'm single and I live alone in the first year. I just didn't leave my house and it was like killing me. Yeah. And I just, and I, I have like a open plan. So literally like my whole space became office. You know, I was either sleeping or at this desk in front of screens. It was very, very unhealthy. Well, the pandemic remote work is not the same as non-pandemic yeah, remote definitely. work. Um, non-pandemic remote work, we've been doing it for a long time, and it mm-hmm. is. I think it's a better way people appreciate living their life with that balance. Well, and, and Josh, what you said actually struck something to me. So, like right now, I definitely go in the office every day, but I live in an apartment. I don't have. I have a desk and I have a good chair, but I don't have a space that is separate in the house for work lucky enough to just be about to be moving into a new house and there's an office there where you can close the doors and it can be separate from the house and you can know this is the space where you work. Mm-hmm. And so I think like having that separation is definitely important because you don't want to work where you eat, where you sleep, where you live, right? You want to make sure you have a fully separate space. I think that's healthy for sure. Everybody's a little bit different in how they want to do their stuff, but you're hitting on not only a separate space, but what the biggest thing we see is not people working too little when they start to work remote. They mm-hmm. work too much because there's not a natural boundary between work and um, your personal life. And so we actually have to train people. You have to have the discipline to say, I'm done for the day and I'm not going to you know, look at my phone I'm yeah. not gonna, because there's notifications nonstop and you right. could do that. And as a leader, you need to make it okay. Don't expect people to chat you back at 11 o'clock at night. It's okay. Give them that break so they have that separation and they don't get burned out. Larry, what do the goals look like for the future? Yeah. So we want to be a nationally recognized brand and we want to be in every major city in the U.S. And so we're, I'm excited about that. And, um, so that's, you know, that we're charting the path to, to get there. And what goes into all that? What do you see being the biggest challenges to obstacles from, from getting there? Well, what's happening right now in the world is the pandemic caused every company to become a technology company because they have to adopt digital channels. They got to do hybrid. There's a huge talent war for tech people. Like I've never seen before. It is wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're seeing sometimes salary escalation of like, 50 to 100%. We're like, whoa. Um, yeah. So we're not producing enough technology people um, in the world. And so I think, you know, low code, no code can help that a little bit, but not entirely. So that that's, you know, having enough talent to grow like that is going to be a challenge. And that is a constraint. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, Josh, Tim, you got any other questions before I start pivoting to some of our last questions of the show? Got nothing. All right. Well, one of them, Larry, is uh, just simple one. You have any advice for our listeners out there? So that we were talking about this, if you're skeptical, whether the, you're a business leader and you're skeptical if this remote thing is going to last after the pandemic, it, it is, and it's going to profoundly change how we live and work. And so I would recommend people start um, figuring out how to do it and do it well so that you can attract and get the best talent. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, Larry, our last question of the show is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, that is live uncomfortably. Without telling you too much about why we chose that phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? 
So what I found is when I grow the most, it's when I'm uncomfortable and you make yourself uncomfortable. So if you are comfortable, you're not growing. And so you, I have to force myself because it's not normal for everybody to put myself in situations where I am uncomfortable. I'm putting myself out there because I know I'm going to learn from that experience. I'm going to get better. Larry, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a good answer. We appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show. Thanks so much for telling your story and talking about uh, the future of work with us. Thanks for having me in person. Yeah. And uh, Conquerors, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, leave us a like and you want to hear more episodes just like it, go ahead, hit that subscribe button, whatever podcast app you're listening on. You'll hear new episodes of Conquering Columbus every week. And uh, again, appreciate all your support. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.